Welcome to the Catholic Sportsman Show. And before we get to uh, discussing with Anthony Brennan, our guest, we want to uh, start with a prayer. So in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. amen. Dear Lord, we ask you to send the Holy Spirit, the Advocate, down upon our conversation today with Anthony. And we just like to have everything that we discuss uh, bring our listeners closer to your sacred heart. We ask Our Lady's intercession. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Holy Mother, Mary of God, Mother of God, pray for, pray for us sinners now, now and at the hour death. Amen. Amen. Saint Sebastian, patron saint of Christian athletes. Pray for us. Pray for us. Blessed Carlo Cutis, the technical blessed of the Catholic Sportsman Show. Pray for us. Pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. All right, Anthony, it's great to talk with you. Likewise. Yeah, hey, Anthony. Can I just ask you real quick, who is the patron saint of the show? Uh, St. Sebastian. Oh, wonderful. And then you mentioned Carlos. Oh, and uh, Blessed Carlo Acutis, who's our technical patron saint, helps with all these technical things that we run into. So, Excellent. Yeah, well, he's, he's awesome. So, Anthony Brand, we want to give you a, a proper introduction here. Um, Anthony is married and he has a son. And he is currently, he's a digital marketing specialist for media production. And so we are really excited to uh, get into our conversation with you, Anthony. And welcome. Good to talk to you face to face. Oh, thanks, Paul. It's terrific. Great to be here. Randy as well. Yeah, welcome. Thank you. We'd like to start off the the podcast by having you tell tell us a little bit about yourself and the intersection of faith and sports in your life. Absolutely. Uh, when I was growing up, those were my two passions um, from from a very early age. Um, I think it was clear uh, to everyone around me that that, that if they were to ask about me football and and uh my faith from from my earliest memories were were always my passions and um so naturally they they intersected with each other and and I was always very focused on on what I wanted to accomplish in in sports and and so of course I I asked our lord to to help with to reach all of my goals and and I was always very specific about it um um we uh it, my mom began exploring her faith when i was pretty young and and i would attribute a lot of it to that so when i was maybe 5 6 years old she started to read the my my parents are catholic my mom's italian my father's irish and mm-hmm. had been to church and been in in um you know, Catholicism their whole life. So that was always a part of it. But I think my mom started to dig deeper and read the Bible and start listening to preachers. And I, that had a big effect on me at, a, at an early age. And and it was something that, that I explored um, very seriously, if, if that's the right word, at a, at a young age. 
and and it just developed and and kept developing th throughout my life. Um, I I should should also mention. I mean, I, I could go into a, a lot of uh, tangents from from that, but we we wound up leaving the Catholic Church uh, because because of that exploration. Um, my my mom had mentioned some things that she was finding out from from the Bible and a Bible study to a priest and. And he had said, you shouldn't be reading the Bible. And she said, well, that doesn't, that doesn't sound right. And so we went to a non-denominational church for, for many years. Um, but I always had, from that point on, a, a foot in both camps um, in full gospel churches and Catholic church, because I went to a Catholic high school, Seton Hall Prep, and, and then on to Notre Dame. And, and so I always came at it from a, a couple of different lenses, which to me, I always thought was a, a real benefit to to exploring faith and your own personal faith. And and now my wife is, uh, she's Serbian, she's Orthodox. So we had, we had that in too. So um, we, we could definitely dive into ecumenism at, at, at some point. But um, to get back to your to your original question, um, it was it was very natural. I remember when I started at Seton Hall, getting, getting, well, even be, before then, I, I remember at, at, at a young age, just always praying and, and trying not to pray for the outcome of games, but just uh, to pray individually about what, um, what I wanted to accomplish within sports and, and for, for my whole life. But it was, a, those, those paths were one and the same for me. So you completed this successful journey of, you know, learning about your faith and going off researching and learning more and then coming back. Yeah. And, and, and for me, I mean, in, in, um, in my, in, in my bio, this skips ahead quite a bit, but everything. And, and since I think I was, was deep into my faith at an early age, everything was very black and white and, I think certain things that I just accepted as facts or accepted in, in one linear line um, was good in many ways because I couldn't be swayed off that path. I, I, I would peer pressure, nothing like that affected me. If, if something was in my head or if I believed something was right, then I could hear no outside voice on it. And I think in some ways that was, that was very good in it. And it led me to a lot of the things that I wanted to accomplish and, and athletics, academics, and, and the path that I wanted to go down. But I think in some other ways, you need to be open to um, the fact that in one aspect, people are coming at their faith from a million to as many different angles as there are people. And there are also, um, you're encountering people on different different parts of, you know, different, uh, um, different stages of their faith walk, or maybe they haven't even started their faith walk, or, or maybe there's just things that you haven't uh, factored into, into their situation. So after school, after Notre Dame, and moving out to LA, uh, which, which we'll get into, there was, there was absolutely a, uh, a journey that went backwards in some ways, but I feel like was absolutely necessary for me to consider why I believe a lot of the things that I believe and, 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 uh, and what that means for, for my life and my faith life and, and how that, 
how that affects, at the very least, conversations with other people about their faith. Absolutely. Right. Well, and like you said, going back um, in time a bit, you said you were um, at Notre Dame, you had mentors who had uh, showed you the ropes and kind of your brothers had taught you, you know, how to play tough and play football um, at a deep level there. And did it seem at the time that those experiences were preparing you for your spiritual journey as well, because they're kind of parallel paths, right? It's tough to play football and it's tough to have our spiritual walk as well. Well, I'll start with with my brother, Billy, my older brother by five years, who I was blessed to have a bully, <laughs> to be bullied by my brother. Um, and, and he was very, uh, he, had a, he had a real specific plan in mind with me to toughen me up, as you said, and he took his job very seriously. So I was bullied with love from my earliest memories and um, you know, and, and I was competitive and, and had a lot of drive. So anything that he did to me, I just wanted to come at him harder, which, you know, when you're five years younger is very difficult, but he prepared me for when I was going against kids, my own age, <laughs> that it, it felt like it was taking a break from, from going against my brother. And, and he had, he had a lot of good strategies. I remember playing basketball and, you know, I, obviously I couldn't hang with him physically, so I developed a little bit of an outside shot. And I just remember one time I went up for an outside shot and he just clotheslined me into some bushes and said, new game, rough basketball, no rules, no fouls. Like, so, that, you know, so you just, so when you're, when you encounter that, it, it's, it's not so hard to play against kids your own age. Um, but he, he definitely prepared and he played football at Villanova. So did my father. I had a cousin play there and we came from a, f a football family. So as far as preparation, uh, both my grandfather's, um, you know, preparation that way, I, I felt like I was prepared, but I think the environment that I was in, um, the, I, you know, I'm, I grew up in, in New Jersey and in a town full of tough guys in a football town. And, and there was an, always an emphasis on hard work. And we had amazing coaches as, you know, in, in the little leagues and, they taught you the right way and they taught you there's one way to do things. It's their way of doing things. And shout out to Gene Basile and the Canonico brothers and Joe Maz. And I mean, from eight years old, you knew that it was their way to do it. And it was the right way. And these were guys in their, their early twenties that were passing along what was, what they were taught. And absolutely there's a crossover from, from that to living a life of faith. And, and, you know, when tough times come, you, you you roll with it and you if you have foundation which which you absolutely need in in your faith lives because it's not a straight line there's ups and downs and and you could lose your reason why you're you're doing something so you have to be tough-minded and you have to remember why you're why you're why you believe something or why you're doing something um and to bring that to notre dame it was the same thing in a lot of ways. I remember um, when I got there, um, the, I, I had a very, I, in my, I was the only one at that point in time who knew the, the path that I wanted to be on at Notre Dame. I walked on and, um, you know, I was, you know, one of the last people. So my freshman year in 96, one of the 
probably the last person invited to the camp. So I was a recruited walk-on, um, but I just had it in my mind, the path that I wanted to go. I wanted to get a scholarship. I wanted to play. I wanted to become the first defensive player to win the Heisman Trophy. Like they, But no one, of course, there had any plan for me other than to just be a body on the team. And uh, if the coaches said that, you know, we're doing a drill. I just assumed it was full speed. And that got me to a lot of fights my freshman year. And, mm-hmm. and, and I remember one particular, my second day of practice, there was a field goal block and I was just on a scout team field goal block. And I took that to mean go full speed and try to block a field goal. And the guy in front of me didn't even have his chin strap buckled. So I ran into him and his helmet went up and hit him in the jaw and he just started swinging. And it was Kevin Coretta who was a, he probably outweighed me by 40 pounds and he was a 50 year senior. But after that practice, he came up to me and he said, I was a walk on keep doing exactly what you're doing. He said, you know, he, he apologized and he said, you're doing it. That's the way you need to do it. And there was a lot of people um, on the team that took me under their wing in one way or another to, um, to, to show me that that is the way to do it, that, that, it, it's going to take hard work. And, um, in, and if you're crossing that with faith, there, there's those examples as well. And I would, I would lead it to, um, I'm sure one of your questions is going to lead to Lou Holtz. And, right. and so my freshman year, coach Holtz was, was, it was his last year's coach. And if I, my lasting memory of coach Holtz is in, in his greatest impact on me is his, his faith. Um, and, and I know that if you follow Notre Dame football, Randy, mm-hmm. you'll be, you're, you're aware of that. And, oh, yeah. and, I, and famously, I think after, I think it, maybe you could correct me if I'm wrong, Randy, but it, the, the 93 win against Florida state, he thanked our lady on the dome, mm-hmm. um, in all the celebration. If it wasn't that it was Miami 88, but it was one of those two, but I would go to, to mass and just see him sitting in the back on a, on a Sunday morning after, after a game. And, and he would always give credit um, away from himself and to our lady. And at the time I, I had no relationship with, with our mother. Um, And it's, it's funny to say that being at Notre Dame and, and she's everywhere, including on the dome, Uh, you know, so you couldn't be anywhere without being, in uh, uh, you know too far from her uh but i i didn't have any relationship and and it took many years to to develop that and a lot of it i i i would attribute to uh to coach holtz and the example that he set right and then during that time um you know you had a good base set right god provided all these coaches and players to kind of you know, help you develop into the player, but then you went from, like you said, walk on to scholarship recipient. And did that kind of help build your trust in God? Like, you know, if I can just do what I need to do and put my faith in you, Lord, did that really help you in, in that stage in your life? It did. Um, it did. And I could say that looking back on it again, I was so, I had such a uh, tunnel vision that I never spoke negative about what my plans were, and I never strayed off of what my goals were. Um, even if it was getting tough, I just 
mentally couldn't go there and refused to. So, um, it, you know, and there's always another rep to, to go harder. Um, before I left, my uncle said, you, he said, you never know. And specifically to me being a walk on, he said, you never know what play it's going to be that they'll notice or the, the one that's going to get you to the next level. And that replayed in my head, I think, for the next five years. Um, it, at least, for sure, it, it replayed in my head that entire uh, first year and a half. And so every rep that seemed like I was just another body on the field, you know, just a scout team player, um, I knew that this next one could be the rep that gets me noticed. And and there was there was some of that. So my freshman year, I played safety, and, and I was um, a scout safety with the receivers. And our receiver coach was Urban Meyer, and Urban Meyer was very, very tough. Uh, he was my favorite coach, but he was the toughest guy and the most competitive guy I've ever been around. And he never, I wouldn't have thought that he even knew who I was. I was just a guy that in in the reps that he needed to get his guys ready. And But that entire freshman year, I was with him and going my going like a maniac every, every time my number was called. Um, Fast forward to spring of my freshman year, I was in a weight program for the first time in my life. I probably put on 20 pounds at least from from uh, when I showed up at on campus, uh, added speed and quickness. And he just in that first day of spring pra- uh, winter conditioning, my freshman year, he just he was uh, we were just running through drills and he just looked at me and he said, what are you up to now weight wise? And it was like the first time he ever talked to me outside of you know just blowing a whistle and i said about 205 and just kind of shook nodded his head and he put me on took a risk because i was a walk-on uh you know i was a walk-on player and at the time there wasn't a lot of walk-on players that got any kind of reps and i was just a walk-on freshman and he put me that spring and took a chance and put me on two of his special teams um you know which which put some uh pressure on him because it, you know within a coaching staff and he was just a you know receivers coach and a young coach at the time that's that there's a lot on him so I took that responsibility very seriously but I wound up playing um you know from that I wound up redshirting I redshirted myself by the way with my <laughs> so it, and and uh in at the end of my freshman season in 96 we wound up beating Pitt and Rutgers like 60 to 6 both both games something like that and uh, and they completely unloaded the bench. Everybody got in for reps, and everyone got to get their name in the in the uh, in the annals of Notre Dame history by playing a play. And I hid behind the Gatorade bottles because they didn't know at the time that I was going to be redshirted or that there was any plan to. But I had a plan to do that. So um, anyway, anyway, so I, I did wind up redshirting. But um, I'm just going off on stories. I forgot what the question. <laughs> <laughs> the question was, but <laughs> well, but, I mean, basically that um, you know all these this confidence oh, building, right? The parallels gotcha. of the yeah. spiritual, yeah. yeah, yeah. Sorry, it, yeah, long, long way to get there, but absolutely great stories. So, oh yeah, th- thanks. Uh, but, uh, there's a million of them, but but yes, when 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 he, I remember the moment very clearly, in, and he, <laughs> I, I wouldn't use his language, but when he put me on those two teams, and he said, "Don't," he said, "Don't f this up." Um, that moment to me was very, very important. And it did, 
uh, validate the work that had gone into it. Um, and I can absolutely, there, to me, again, there was, there was no difference between my faith life and these goals because everything that I did was completely tied into my faith. And so there was faith just being on the campus at Notre Dame, faith being on the football team, faith in these goals, um, and, it, and it was all tied together. So absolutely, uh, it, it did. What I didn't, I, I didn't account for the fact that it could also go the other way and would go the other way. Um, so prior to that, you know, the trajectory was always in grade school and high school. You take this step and then you take the next step, next step, next step, next step. And then you're the captain of the team and, you know, getting accolades and things like that and then getting accepted to Notre Dame. But at Notre Dame, I was seeing the field early and doing these things and then getting a scholarship. But I didn't account for the fact that I would then be at the bottom of the depth chart when top recruits come in the next year and how difficult that is. Cause I'm like, well, wait, I'm doing this. I'm doing the right things. I'm still doing, you know, living a life of faith and, and doing everything that I know to do. So that was very difficult because it was the first time that I had encountered that. So, um, so for sure there was lessons and challenges there. Well, you were right. I was going to ask you what it was like to play in the Lou Holtz, but as you know, Notre Dame is known as a football dynasty. What was it like being a student there? Amazing. My uh, my first thoughts of Notre Dame always go back to being a student there, um, which is probably hard to believe when you say that you played Notre Dame football, but the relationships, the feeling of being on campus. Paul, have you been to Notre Dame? No, I haven't. I've seen pictures next of year. it. Next year. Next year. Well, all three of us will go out. But Randy, I know that you have just walking across campus. I lived in Morrissey, which is just uh, not maybe not a stone's throw, but maybe a couple of Frisbee tosses. <laughs> away. Really good Frisbee tosses away from, uh, from the grotto. So my time... Um, there in the the faith life on campus, the people you meet. I talked uh, uh, yesterday to my freshman room. I had three freshman roommates, um, and I'm going to give actually give another one a call tomorrow. Um, but you don't room with. I, I wound up rooming with a couple of football players eventually, but they purposely mix you in with the student population, and um, it's the relationships. It's it's all of the things that they say to me are. 100% true and beyond that the 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 Notre Dame the four years of Notre Dame is it's not four years in some ways I still feel like I'm there and every time I go back to campus besides there being 15 new buildings every time I'm there it's it's the same feeling and there's immediate camaraderie with with all the domers and you know and, and all the things that I've gotten into in life I'm always interacting um with people from Notre Dame, even in, you know, in Hollywood, even there, there wasn't a huge presence in, uh, in Hollywood when I first got out there, there, there was a few and all they needed to know that I was from Notre Dame and, and, you know, it, they would be willing to do anything for you and, and did. And, and I feel the same way as soon as I hear that someone's from Notre Dame. Great. Um, but it, it's, it's a, it's a special place. That's, that's all I could say. Okay, so so Anthony, we have to ask you the question. 
you went from linebacker to uh, playing uh, in the brotherhood of the traveling pants. So we have to ask, how did that happen? I have no idea. That that was uh, a friend of mine, uh, Nicole Donatio, was making that. And that's specifically how that happened. Uh, And she she was making, uh, she made another one, uh, these these spoof films on takeoffs. I think she... uh, she did one on the Wolf of Wall Street. I forget what it was called, but she she's super talented. Uh, so that's how that's and she's from New Jersey. And, and so specifically, that's how that happened. But um, I had spent so much time just to get to Hollywood uh, to answer the question. I was so my five years at Notre Dame were it wasn't all football, but there, it's a full time job and there's little room to do much else. Um creatively and I, I had those passions i i would have loved to have spent a semester abroad or get involved in um i didn't know that i i would have liked acting at the time but i certainly loved movies and and uh if they had the acting program that they had now i i think i would have um at least minor did it while i was there but after school was over and and uh the dreams of playing pro football kind of faded away um I had a friend who was uh, taking acting classes in New York, uh, John Battisti, and and he said, "You're not doing anything. Come, come, uh, take acting classes." Because we had we had always loved movies our entire life, and then talked about movies, and and I said, "Why not?" And I, I wound up getting a teaching job at Seton Hall Prep, so I was doing that during the day and taking acting classes at night. And at the end of the year, at that point in time, it was 2002. If you wanted to do film, if you wanted to do Broadway, you stayed in New York. If you wanted to do film, you moved to L.A. And I moved to L.A. and uh, and wanted to. I took the same approach, uh, which I had a lot to learn. I took the same approach that if you just you know put your head down and work hard, you'll you'll the cream will rise to the top, and and eventually you know I'll be an Oscar-winning actor. But I didn't realize that it's it's very different. It's a very different arena when you get out to Hollywood and, and, and those kinds of things don't apply. Um, I had a, a, a guy I met with right when I got out there, I had coffee with him and he said, I told him I'm taking this class and it was with an amazing um, acting coach. And he's, he, he was just kind of shaking his head. He said, listen, he said, if I was you, he said, I would go out every night and I would meet people. And he said, just try to meet people, let them know, you know, uh, at some point what you're trying to do and what you're trying to get into. And he said, that's the way you're going to get jobs. And I was like, I didn't want to hear that at all. I said, no, I'm going to go and I'm going to get into a play and and do, you know, do everything that I that I know that I need to do and work hard. But he was right. I mean, it, it's 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 much more about that and and developing relationships with people. And that's who gets cast. And that's you know, you work with people that you, that, you know, so I didn't know that at the time, but, um, but the first, uh, I did commercial work. I, I got a commercial agent and I was, um, it was, I was in a lot of sports commercials, which was amazing. Actually, my first, uh, commercial was for EA sports. It was for the college football game. And I showed up on set. Uh, I showed up for uh wardrobe and they had me in a Tennessee uniform and they had the other guys that were cast, uh, being cast and the other guy in the Tennessee uniform, they had two guys for each team was a guy that uh, my old teammate, Jeremy Akers, who I didn't even know was out there, but he was doing all the extra 
work and all the football work for all the movies and and shows. So that was amazing. I took that as a sign. I, I'm I'm in the right place. Um, but the first gig I got was an extra on Spider-Man Two, and there is a sequence in New York mm-hmm. where I am in the New York scene in uh, where Doc Op was a. Uh, busting through the cafe window where I am both running away from him, running towards him. I'm on a balcony and I'm driving my car through the scene. So that was my experience, my first experience uh, on the big screen. (laughs) And, 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 and for all that work that I put into Spider-Man two, it's like a, like a millisecond um, of work. But if you pause it, you could see me. Wow. I was going to ask, what was your experience with with the movie Unplanned? Actually, that started from at the time with my wife. Um, we were doing website design, so we we started a company called Designerland, and it was it at that just to to bring it from from acting to there. I'd gone from acting to writing and doing a little producing. And then got out of it because uh, I'd, I'd been out there for many years at, uh, at that point. And we we started a company doing websites. And through a connection with Family Theater, Tony Sands at Family Theater put me in touch with Carrie and Chuck um, because they were considering uh, what they wanted to do with, with the movie and create a dynamic website. And so a year before they actually really got going in, into pre-production, they were just considering ideas and I met with them several times about a website and then I wound up getting more involved in um fast forward a year a year later when they were really getting ready to move on it um I got involved in uh in in bringing in um a lot of the money or or helping to bring in a lot of the the funding for for the film and and that's that's kind of uh was my involvement in on unplanned um and uh, and I was very excited, you know, to be a part of it because I, at the time, I was hopeful that that story. It seemed to me, and and there's much more of a divide in a lot of areas. I, I think um, the abortion debate has always been very very divided. But my hope was that this was going to be a kind of story where people could kind of meet in the middle a little bit, considering um, Abby's experiences and experiences with Planned Parenthood. I thought it was going to be a great opportunity for mainstream media to have her interviewed and not be it, not be contentious and, and to actually have a conversation and, and maybe see, uh, you know, if you're on one side or the other, maybe see a little bit more of where people on the other side are coming from and, and why people are so passionate, you know, and to see that, you know, more specifically that she believed and and knows that that we're talking about human lives. And and if you see it from that point of view, then maybe you could understand why people would stand on the side of the road and pray and why take it so seriously. And I, I my hope was that that it was going to lead to that kind of a conversation, um, which it didn't in in many respects, because I don't think they wanted to engage with with Abby specifically for that reason, because she had been uh, entrenched and had so many years in Planned Parenthood. Um, 
and the movie was very successful and, and rightfully so uh, to an to an audience. I think that that uh, that that welcomed it, or, or at least that was open to it. And and I know that it and it did affect a lot of people. You know, people that that were willing to to at least give it a chance. But I also know that more than half the country didn't give it a chance. Um, you know, because I I I do believe in in dialogue. I have many friends who. You know, from being in, from many, many uh, parts of my life and many experiences in my life, but especially living in California for so long, many friends that that are just completely opposed to things that that I believe. But I don't want that to affect uh, the ability to have a conversation about those things. Right. We just have to talk it, talk it out. Oh, yeah. We beans together, but. And thank you for being a part of that movie. That was an excellent movie. It was, yeah. It, it, they did it, it really did a, a terrific job. And 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 as I said, it's it's a story worth telling. Um, and and uh, in many ways, not a um, not an easy project to do, or not an easy project to take on. Right, right. And you mentioned the two writers. Uh, you said Carrie and Chuck, right? The yeah, writers. They did "God's Not Dead" and then "Nefarious" and, and "Unplanned," and they're from New Jersey as well. That's so. true. That that is that is true. And 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 Chuck's a Notre Dame guy as well. Okay. Yeah. So God bless their work. I mean, they're really trying to work for the Lord and uh, put out all these movies. So it's yeah, great. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. So, did you enjoy your role as uh, executive co-producer with Unplanned? And do you have any other future projects in mind like that? It was uh yeah I I did I very much enjoyed it. I I hadn't um I hadn't been in that type of a role prior to that, but it it was uh it was very good to be on on that side of the table for for the making of of that movie. I learned learned a ton um and from there have been more involved in production. I I I am very much involved in storytelling and um I'm always looking for for good stories to tell, but Currently, I'm producing a uh, docu series, eight, an eight episode series called "Meaning of Music," along with uh, the Vigil Project, and it's their baby. I, I was brought a- along to to help with a few aspects of it, including distribution. Um, but it's a beautiful, beautiful series exploring the meaning of music, specifically uh, the gift of music, and 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 it's a deep dive into that and interviewing 30 people from all around the world, including uh, Bishop Barron and Matt Marr and, and gorgeous places. Uh, and it's, it's really well done. And so that, that's, uh, that's what I've been working on for about the last six or seven months. And we're in talks right now to, for where that's going to live on what platform um, and, and very, very, very excited for, for where it's going to go. Um, and uh the Vigil Project is a band led by Greg Boudreau and Andrea Thomas, and they travel the country performing at parishes and universities and for retreats. and And they're bringing the beauty of music and and teaching music, teaching people um, to pray with music, because it's such a it's such a valuable gift. As as I said, that I think in the Catholic Church is not used in any kind of capacity in the way that it should. So I remember being out in California when Hillsong was getting a lot of steam and 
I met a girl and I said, why do, you, why do you go to that church? And she said, the music. That was the only answer. It was the reason that brought her to it and brought a lot of people to that church and, and kept them there and keeps them there. And the reason why it's it's famous. I mean, and, and uh, I do believe that, that the Catholic Church, and I know many Catholic musicians, and including the Vigil Project and a lot of the people who were interviewed for this project that are just super talented and, and want that type of atmosphere and, and, and maybe atmosphere is not the right word because it's not trying to change the beauty of of what is the the mass or the church but there is opportunity for for a much bigger place uh, a but much bigger role for music to play i think in in the church and in people's faith lives and this series dives into that and I saw the promotional video. Can people still get involved in supporting this meaning of music? Video? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's a nonprofit. So every every uh, all of the production money was was raised as donation, and uh, um, and there's opportunity for that. So it's Vigil Project, thevigilproject.com. And if you go to Meaning of Music, that that's a, a way to do that. Um, and I loved getting involved with this project and, and with the people involved with this. Dan Johnson also is, is the director from 4PM Media. But because as opposed to Hollywood, they didn't wait for uh, to have all, all the money. They said, we have enough money to get started. Let's go. Let's hit the road and travel around. So, um, so, so yeah, there, there's definitely opportunity and would be blessed if, if anyone felt called uh, that they wanted to be a part of it in any in any capacity. Um, so um, they, they could stay tuned for that, but we, we have our trailer out and you can see what it looks like. And it's, it's going to be fantastic. Maybe in the next year or so, do you think it might be released? Yeah. So, yeah. So it's, it's, uh, it's almost entirely filmed and we're in the editing process and um, there's exciting things on the horizon as far as where it's going to be distributed. And it's, it's also going to be traveling the country because the vigil project travels the country, so it'll hit parishes, and then um, it's it's also going to be used as a curriculum. So one of the ways that it, it could have the biggest impact is by getting to music ministers um, and to young people. So we'll we'll bring it to universities and high schools and and get it. And uh, I think it's something that young people will really respond to, and uh, and so the the target is for the end of the year for it to be released um on a platform and then then of course it it could come to a uh, could and probably will come to a place near you excellent yeah yeah i saw all the tour dates online that the, you know they're doing all these uh eucharistic conferences where they're playing music and it's it's beautiful i mean right now in the middle of that eucharistic revival so that's great Absolutely. Yeah. And they're, and they're right in the middle of that. And it is, it's beautiful. It's just to give you a space to, to stop. I don't think we stop very often. I, I remember Dr. Yonggi Cho from, he was pastor of the largest church in the world in Korea. I think he passed away recently. Um, rest in peace to him. He, uh, I, I remember him saying that in Korean services, and I'm not talking about a Catholic service, but he, he said compared to the Western world that they spend I'm just sitting, praying, and allowing uh, for the Holy Spirit to talk to you. I don't think that we do that very often. We're so focused on everything being fast and the next thing and the next thing, and we're always connected. And, and I think just, um, 
I think being in, in a place where you're allowed to just think, and especially if you have music playing, nothing stirs you more than, uh, than, than feeling music and feeling the vibration of music in your soul and the emotion. Uh, it's for me, at least, I mean, that, that is just, uh, it's, it's just pure beauty when, when you're in that kind of a space. And I think they create that kind of an atmosphere when, when they visit a, a parish. Yeah, music definitely penetrates the soul, as you said. And um, just to, we were talking about this before we started, uh, what's your estimation or for Hollywood right now? I know there's a lot of Catholics out there that are trying to put good content, like yourselves, right? Put con good content out there. There are. And and I think there's been a, uh, I think there's been a, a, a big movement it, in that direction um, over the last five years or so, I, I think where people are more open to it. And I think it certainly helps when you have major A-listers who are willing to do it, um, it to put their faith out there and, and also to put their faith out there um, in media, in, in projects. So I think that helps because then the next generation or, or people who were on the fence about being tagged as a Christian or fear of being blackballed from something by saying that you're a part of something that has to do with faith, that goes away and you, you could be a little bit more bold. So it, it definitely takes uh, people who have, who have macheted through, through that, that kind of, uh, uh, you know, th that kind of ground to make it possible for, for people to do that. But I think that, there, there was also a, a tag on Catholic or faith-based films and filmmaking or storytelling that just you assumed that it was going to be kind of one note, not very well told, uh, not not, not quality. Uh, you know, yeah, not great quality. And I think that's gone away too. I know. I mean, you know, there's. It, I think if you just focus on telling a good story whether there's and and you are a person of faith and you're a part of telling that story i think it'll probably just come through just so the focus is just telling a, a great story i mean th there's a place for preaching um whether it's in storytelling or not i i i don't see it that way personally maybe certain people do i just think it's it's finding and telling a great story so for me, I mean, we're we're talking sports. I mean, just naturally, and it hasn't always been that way. Like the stories that uh, that I'm looking at, and the stories that I want to tell, just it, right now happen to be great sports stories. I'm going over to Serbia, and my I think I mentioned my wife is Serbian, so I want to go tell a story about Serbian basketball and the Jokic brothers, and like you know what I mean. So like things things like that, and um, another friend and friend and I were developing uh, a story of. Uh, Latin baseball players and a lot of the amazing stories within that framework. And I got back uh, collecting baseball cards after 30 years out of the business and out, out, out of that, that, that kind of a um, world. And, and I want to tell a story there, you know what I mean? So I, I think within that there's great stories. And when we're talking about Latin baseball players, I mean, there's, there's a lot of crossover between faith stories and, and good stories. So I I'm excited about, um, the possibilities there and, and just that there's forum for for good faith stories to be told 
Um, and, 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 you know, hopefully people are open to that, you know, just open to good stories that have faith elements to it. Oh, we are. And, and thank you for doing this. I mean, we, we need this. Everyone's looking for good content out there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, Anthony, you know, before we close, I mean, speaking of telling stories or giving inspiration, is there anything you'd like to share you know, with our listeners just to inspire them from what you've learned in your life up to this point? Wow, that's <laughs> that is a big task. I uh, I would say the the thing to me, and it's jumping off a little bit of 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 what I'd mentioned a few minutes ago, is just to create a space to listen and to allow the Holy Spirit in your life. And if you don't have a faith life, and the idea of listening to the Holy Spirit sounds very foreign. You could call it listening to your heart or listening to to your what comes inside uh, comes from inside because I I just don't think we do that and I know in my life that the times that I have been most the times that I have felt most in flow with who I feel that I should be and and feel a, a a harmony of life are the times when I've been listening the best and just not going in the direction that seems natural to the world or the people around me or, or, um, you know, the industry I'm in things like that, but instead completely allowing a different small voice to come in and give that first place. And I know it, it's the Holy Spirit speaking to me. And when you spend enough time listening, you could recognize that voice. Um, so I would encourage people to, to make space for that in their lives and literally make space for that in their lives. Give yourself a time to every day to, to go to a spot and, and just listen and not have anything else going on but that. Yeah, thank you. I was going to ask, how can our listeners follow you and your activities? Great question. Yeah, right now it would be uh, from following the Meaning of Music project, so the, the vigilproject.com. And beyond that, hopefully I do something big enough that they don't have to <laughs> try to follow me, that, that it'll be available for for all to see and knocking on their doors so uh, i guess stay stay tuned hopefully hopefully that's the case great that's great we will put all the your links in, in the show notes for everyone oh okay okay then I, then i'll throw a couple links in there then okay and randy you want to lead us out in a closing prayer sure i'd love to in the name of the father and the son and the holy spirit amen Lord, we thank you for Anthony and his witness, and we ask your blessing on him and his family. And we ask that something that we said today might hit the ear of, and hearts of somebody that's listening to us and draw him or her closer to you. We pray this through the intercession of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus.
Holy Mary. Holy Mary, Mother of God, God pray for us sinners. Just now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Anthony Brandon, thank you so much for being here on the Catholic Sportsman Show. We really appreciate your time. A pleasure. Enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah, thank you very much. Thanks, Thank you. You too, likewise. You too, Paul. Come out to California and visit you guys. <laughs>